It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are indeed Locked On Magic. Today is June 8th, although I might be releasing this earlier, so it might still be June 7th, 2020. My name is Philip Rossman-Reich. I'm the expert insight editor over at orlandomagicdaily.com. You can follow me on Twitter at philiprr underscore omd. On today's episode of Locked On Magic, we'll update... We'll just kind of recap of what happened last week with the return-to-play plan in the NBA. Some of the lingering issues that are still hanging about, we'll briefly touch on those. We're going to touch on a little bit more, little, those in a little bit more detail throughout the week, I, I think, um, as uh, the NBA kind of begins negotiations to kind of get back to play. So we'll kind of update where everything stands with the NBA as we, as we enter this new reality where, yes, the bubble idea is going to happen. We'll also check in with Chad Ford on uh, Chad Ford's NBA Big Board to see what he thinks. Uh, uh, he put together his first Big Board. See what he thinks about some of the draft prospects that I've been having an eye on, and, and I'll react to some of that. But the main crux of today's episode will be spent on an anniversary that I think most Magic fans won't want to relive, but I will. I will relive it nonetheless. We'll talk about all that coming up in just a moment. But before we do any of that, I do want to remind you all that you can check out all the great podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network by searching every download podcast for Locked On and the team you're looking for. Just like this podcast here covering the Orlando Magic with excruciating detail, there's podcasts covering every single team in the NBA with the same level of care and detail that you can only find from a local expert who knows their team best. Want the lowdown on, say, the the Brooklyn Nets? Check out Locked On Nets or the Washington Wizards. Check out Locked On Wizards. We'll be paying very close attention to those teams here coming up in just a few weeks. You can check out all these great podcasts, plus our national podcasts, wherever you download podcasts. Plus, we have NFL, MLB, NHL, and college podcasts, too. With sports starting to kick up, it's time to catch up on what your favorite team's been up to and how they look to start or continue their season. Check out all these great podcasts wherever you download podcasts today. The Locked On Podcast Network, it's your team every day. Today's episode is also brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code Locked On, and you'll get $10 off your first order. So if you've been living under a rock or you're just coming back to the NBA, welcome back, by the way, uh, with the news that the NBA is coming back or, or is planning to, to resume again in July 31st, let the next two, three, four, five minutes kind of serve as a reminder of where we stand. Last week, the NBA officially announced, or its Board of Governors officially approved, a return-to-play plan that would send 22 teams, the 22 teams that are in the playoffs or within six games of the final spot in the playoffs, to Disney to complete the regular season. The plan is to play the fi- that play uh, an eight-game regular season to close the season out, and then a potential play-in round, followed by the playoffs in full, all four rounds, best of seven series. 
The teams will be kind of sequestered and quarantined at a hotel at Disney at, at nearby ESPN Wildwood of Sports, which is where the games will be played. Um, it's rumored that it's going to be Coronado Springs. If you know Disney's property at all, this is a this is not a regular hotel, as most Disney hotels are not regular hotels. This is a resort that that has plenty of space for players to kind of get up and move around and, and a lot more to do than just kind of a building with rooms in it. So um, it, it isn't maybe, you know, I think the NBA trying to sell that it is a campus setting or a campus idea. Um, there, there is something to that when it comes to some of the Disney hotels, and, and certainly it feels like that is the direction the league is going. Now, for the Orlando Magic, of course, they're 30-35. and 35. They will be in the bubble. They're eighth place in the Eastern Conference, a half game behind the Brooklyn Nets, and five and a half games ahead of the Washington Wizards for the final playoff spot. As we talked about ad nauseum, uh, heading into, as ideas were getting proposed for how this play-in idea or how this, this bubble setting would look, at, at, the biggest challenge was balancing the regular season as it existed beforehand, the 67 games that, that you know, or the Magic had played 65 games, the 60-plus games, more than three-quarters of the season that have been played already, uh, respecting that and the work that teams have already put in, along with giving teams that are outside the playoff, playoff picture uh, a chance to play their way in, an incentive to show up. Because if they don't have the incentive... Why risk injury? Why risk you know potential exposure to contamination or to to, to the disease? Why do anything uh, if 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 that's the case? And certainly there was a suggestion that that all thirty teams wanted to come and play, but the NBA just has kind of decided they want to limit the number number of teams there. So for the Orlando Magic specifically, um, this puts them at a little bit of risk. And 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 as I, as I noted, and and something that I really kind of felt strongly about is risk needed to be shared by everyone uh, at this point. I really do think, I mean, maybe it's selfishness, but I did think it was a little unfair that all the risk was being put on the eighth place team. And so really just one team. Uh, and a team like the Magic that, you know, was five and a half games up with 17 games to play, it was not likely the Washington Wizards were going to catch them, especially with the schedule the Wizards had coming up. But I do have to applaud the NBA. They came up with a play-in game proposal that I think does respect the regular season uh, and does kind of solve a lot of these problems. So for there to be, to be a play-in game, the ninth place team has to be within four games of the eighth place team at the conclusion of the eight game, the eight seeding games, as they're being called, uh, to conclude the regular season. So essentially, the Wizards have to make up a game and a half on the Orlando Magic to force a play-in game. As has been noted, and, and as has been, I think, proposed when the original play-in idea came about, for the ninth place team to usurp the eighth seed from the eighth place team, they would have to beat them twice. Essentially, the way I am describing it to people um, is if, if, if the Wizards do finish four games behind the Magic and do force a play-in game, it essentially becomes a best-of-three series where the eighth place team is up 1-0 to start. They're essentially given a free game. They have to be beaten twice to lose their spot. And frankly, you know, as I mentioned on our last episode, this essentially means that if the Magic are going to miss a playoff spot, if the Magic are going to miss the playoffs entirely, they would have to play poor enough that the Wizards, who will still face a very difficult schedule, beat them by a game and by two games, not just a game and a half, because game and a half doesn't make sense. They'd have to beat them by two games. So if Orlando goes three and five. Washington would have to go five and three. If Orlando goes two and six, Washington would have to go four and four. 
If Orlando goes 0-8, Washington would have to go 2-6. That's, that's The math is that simple. And then Washington would have to beat them twice. Essentially, Orlando, the Orlando Magic, if anyone listens, if you miss the playoffs, it's it's your own fault. You've had plenty of opportunities, and, and, and we're going to talk in a little bit about a time when the Magic had plenty of opportunities and did not take advantage of them, but uh, that's, that's, that's a little foreshadowing for, for our next segment here. There are still, you know, so everyone is very, very excited that the NBA is essentially back in action or back in business. No return date is set. The Players Association issued a press release on Friday saying that they approve of the plan and they're ready to move on to the next step. Not to be the buzzkill here, but I think the wording in that Players Association uh, statement is very prescient and, and is something that we do have to remember and do have to take into account. The Players Association statement said the Players Association approved continued negotiations with the NBA over the bubble idea. Essentially what the Players Association said when they took their vote and they they kind of responded to what the owners put forth, essentially what they're saying is we agreed to the basic terms of our return to play. Now let's get into the details. And, and as they always say, the devil is in the details. We've seen MLS nearly come to a head over their return to play plan. We've seen uh, NWSL is actually, you know, ha- having some issues getting some of their top players to play in their, I think it's called the Challenge Cup in Salt Lake City that's coming up here at the end of the month. Um, MLB c- cannot seem to get out of their own way to get started. Uh, and so I, I'm going to be a little bit of a buzzkill here and say, Yes, we've cleared a, an important hurdle, but we are not completely out of the woods yet. Um, and and as Michelle Roberts seemed to suggest when uh, the NBA put out sort of a proposed plan for the 2021 season, Michelle Roberts kind of seemed to say, well, that's news to me. I, I think we'll ha- we're going to have to talk about that. Um, certainly, the 2021 season is another matter and, and is, I think, something that they're going to put on the other side of the table for now. But let's not pretend that there isn't still battles and negotiations to be had between the players and the owners quite yet. You know, while I think that the NBA and the NBA Players Association have had a great relationship and have handled this about as well as they can handle, there's a lot of trust between the two sides. That trust can go away very, 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 very quickly, especially now that there's a lot of money involved. I will say this, that is me being a buzzkill. This is me being an optimist and probably more of a realist. The NBA and the NBA Players Association have a fantastic relationship. Uh, the reason why the NBA Players Association was able to make such a quick vote, and it was really just a vote of team representatives. Uh, Jonathan Isaac is the Magic's union representative, according to the NBPA website. Aaron Gordon is the alternate. Um, take, take that information for what you will. I, I think it's interesting that, that I, such a, Isaac being the young player is such an important part, you know, is essentially the union rep for the team. You think like DJ Augustine would be the guy or, or Vooch or, or Evan, you know, more veteran player who might be a little more invested. But, you know, that's politicking that's, that's you know, Kind of uh, uh, interesting to me. I don't know if it's interesting to you. Um, But nonetheless, the NBA and the NBA Players Association have a very, very good relationship. Chris Paul, the president of the Players Association, and and ESPN has done some really good writing on and reporting on the kind of behind the scenes and how the league's kind of been able to kind of keep the peace a little bit through this process and come up with a plan that everyone really agrees to. Um, The plan that the, uh, unlike MLB and unlike MLS, it seems like, the plan the owners put forward had a lot of player input. 
Adam Silver went to the players and said, what do you want to see and how the how the league returns? And they have really been hand-in-hand in creating this and crafting this plan. So I, I do not think that there's a major hurdle to clear here. Um, you know, I think that there are some finer points at the end that the players want to make sure that they understand. The testing is a big one. They want to understand how the league's going to keep them safe, how the league's going to keep the virus out of the bubble. Um, some of it is probably going to come down to as well as... Um, you know, what accommodations are going to be like, how much freedom of movement players are going to have within the resort and perhaps within Disney property. Uh, again, because Disney is getting set to reopen in early July, it, you know, don't expect, you know, I would expect that the league will try to, you know, cordon off their facility. I, I you know, I've kind of joked with some friends, like maybe there will be an NBA day when families are, are in the, in the bubble that they can go to Disney early before other people do just to, just to have that outlet. But you know, I'm not banking on that. Disney's its own business as well. And the theme park business is a big part of their business and they've lost a lot by being closed for, for two, three months now. Um, there's still a lot to negotiate. Um, the schedule is one, the roster sizes is another, there, there's still a lot of finer details to get to, um, before the league returns. But again, I would say it is a positive sign that the that the players agreed to this deal so quickly. It is a positive sign that the owners seem to be on board, that, that the players were involved in this process of creating the return to play plan. And I think it is a positive sign that the Players Association feels very, very comfortable that the players are backing union leadership. Uh, and union leadership has had, you know, long negotiations and 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 helped negotiate this 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 return to play. I do think that a lot of these issues will be resolved fairly quickly and we will get an official announcement of the return to play. As some people have noted, I think it was Jared Dudley, um, who was a f- former union member, longtime NBA player, who noted that you know the, the Thursday conference call announcing the return to play uh, was likely a formality, but that is that was a lo- he, he kind of predicted that that would be when uh, NBA teams would kind of recall their players. That has not happened yet. Um, so, you know, we're still doing voluntary workouts within team facilities if players want to do that. Um, we are not officially back yet. Um, and so in, that could come this week. You know, we could get the official kind of, you know, call back to arms, so to speak. Um, you know, the, 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 the bugle horn, I'm forgetting what it's, what it's called in racing. Um, we could get that very, very soon. And, and that could lead to the kind of two-week individual workout period followed by the training camp, and then hopefully by early July, teams will start arriving at Disney. We might see a couple preseason games, might see a couple scrimmages. Uh, we might see some some warm-up before the regular season begins, and of course the target then is to start the season back up on July 31st with the NBA Finals lasting all the way into September and maybe early October. So that's where we're at um, with things. Um, you know, I'll talk probably on our next episode about how the Magic are feeling about things. It's, you know, I, I kind of did a link roundup of some of the interviews that the Magic did on OrlandoMagicDaily.com. They seem very, very excited and eager to get back to work. Um, you know, Magic, obviously, we're in in a big, in a good place. So we'll talk about where the Magic stand and, and where the Magic stood at the hiatus, I think, on a future episode of Locked on Magic. But I do want to get to uh, the anniversary that occurred on Sunday. Um, so we'll talk a little Magic history coming up here in just a moment. But first, I got to tell you, um, you know, it, it was a rainy weekend, so I didn't get the chance to go outside. I hope anyone who was downtown uh, or in Central Florida, I hope I hope everyone stayed safe. You know, we had a tornado touchdown uh, just outside downtown Orlando. It was a little scary there for a second. Um, just an EF1, but, you know, 
weather, weather and such. Um, it's it's been a little rainy. The rainy season seems to have come a little early here in Orlando. So you know, I I haven't been able to get outside and work out as much as I would like. You know, my my, my building's gym is still still kind of closed. It's not it's not easy to get into at this at this point. Um, but you know, when I do work out. I do like to kind of supplement my workout with a protein bar. And some of those protein bars are just really nasty. You know, I'm not a nut guy. I don't like kind of the crunchy granola bars. And honestly, like the Cliff, you know, like other bars that, you know, say that they're they're kind of like chocolate bars or, or anything, they just taste a little bit off. Well, Built Bar is not anything like that. It is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Comes in 16 amazing flavors. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate and they're soft and easy to chew. That's actually a big plus for me whenever I'm looking at a, a protein bar. Built Bar is great for the health conscious person. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on and you'll get $10 off your first order. Again, use promo code locked on for $10 off at builtbar.com today. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming, or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. They'll file with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So switch to TurboTax, make your moves They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com slash guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. So, I, I really hate to do this to everyone. Um... I should warn, I should have maybe warned everyone at the beginning of the episode that, that this is what we were going to talk about today. Um, I, I tried to tease it and keep it quiet, but there is, there is no getting around it. Um, there is no, no beating around the bush. June 7th, Sunday, was the 25th anniversary of Game 1 of the 1995 NBA Finals. Uh, game one, of course, aired on NBA TV on Thursday. I watched it. I actually watched it twice because I hate myself so much. Tracy McGrady was on later, so I was, I was, I was much happier about that. Um, but there is, there is no easy way to watch that game. Um, I was, you know, we've talked, before I get into personal stories, uh, we've talked a lot about that 1995 team here uh, throughout the hiatus, throughout this the season's hiatus, um, we've talked a lot about what made that team special. Um, obviously, within the context of the Last Dance, uh, we talked about the d- defeating the Chicago Bulls in the second round and, and how monumental that victory was, and and how the team looked then. Uh, Fox Sports Florida, you know, thankfully, and and again to anyone at Fox Sports Florida who listens. Thank you so much for airing Classic Magic Games. It is it was so much fun to relive 
1995 finals run, the 2009 finals run, to watch all those classic games. Um, the Tracy McGrady games this week were fantastic. You know, you just, there's, just, there's just so much you forget when you don't see and live these teams in that way. And especially, especially the 1995 playoff games that they showed, and I really do think they should have shown uh, you know, the, the Celtics series as well because um, games three and four were fantastic games. Um, being able to watch those games and, and see how those series developed and how the team changed throughout those series, you know, you don't get to do that very often. Um, you know, game, you know, games might air here and there on NBA TV or, you know, I've got the Orlando Magic Video Vault, which has some, you know, grainy YouTube footage of, of games, full, some full games, some highlights. You know, I try my best to collect as many of these games that I can uh, just, just to have available, just to have kind of more freely available. They're, they're on YouTube anyway, so I'm, I don't feel like I'm doing anything crazy. Um, but you just forget, you know, so much about these teams, you know, because legends are, legends are such a big part of, of how we relate to sports and, and how we kind of tell these stories. Um, and, you know, again, I, I want to thank Fox Sports Florida for, for the Magic Classics. Um, you know, this, this week, you know, I checked my, my Spectrum guide. Um, it, it does not appear that there will be any Magic Classics this week. I think Wednesday they're re-airing opening night again. Um, so if you want to see Markel Fultz dunk all over the Cleveland Cavaliers, you can do that. Um, so I, I, I don't know, you know, I'd love to see more Chase from Grady. I'd love to see in the 97 uh, playoff games again because, you know, so much of, you know, while I do feel like I'm very steeped in Magic history and have an have a understanding of it, you know, frankly, when the Magic went to the finals, I was six years old. Um, I, I do, I, I remember being at game one. Um, I don't necessarily remember how I felt. You know, maybe I, maybe it's so traumatic I blocked it out of my head. Um, I remember how loud the building was and that, that just, but that's just generally the 95 team. And I do remember when I was in high school, I was a senior in high school, I want to say, um, I did watch game one for a second time. I actually sat down and watched the entire game. And, you know, I remember, you know, when we got to the moment, and we'll talk about it in just a moment, when I got to to the end of regulation in that game, I, I do remember crying a little bit. Um, it is it is still tough to watch because there's so much of that team that that we love. And, and again, re-watching the 95 playoff run again this offseason, or this hiatus, really reminded me of how much fun that team was and how lovable that team was and, and, and everything that made that team tick. And again, I'm very, very thankful to have that experience again. And I hope as we discuss the Bulls series, especially, you know, it being the 25th anniversary of that series, as well as, you know, in conjunction with the last stance, as we, you know, rewatch game one live and, and, and really discussed and broke down that series again, um, I hope everyone got a sense of, of what made that group really, really, really special and what made that season special. And, you know, I watched I actually watched this magic moment again a couple weeks ago as well, uh, and it was just very much the same thing. You know, like there's so much that is special about that team that still resonates with people. But let's talk, you know, so I rewatched it again in, in, in my senior high school, and actually, you know, Jeff Turner was... Uh, my high school's basketball coach at the time. And I remember seeing him like shortly after I watched it, and I was like, and I, again, Coach Turner, I'm sorry I brought brought it up. Um, I, I kind of realized I'm, I'm being a, just a punk kid at the time. Um, but I, I remember telling him at, at the time, how did we lose that game? I think, I think he had much the same feeling. This time around when I watched it, there's more just frustration. 
you know, I, I watched that game again, and, and, and I, I, having now watched, you know, kind of lived through pretty recently that whole 95 finals run, you know, one thing really stuck out to me. And that was, A, the 95 Magic are so, or were, so extraordinarily talented. You know, Shaq, Penny, Nick Anderson, Dennis Scott, uh, Horace Grant. Horace Grant just, I've long held to the Horace Grant theory. Uh, My Horace Grant theory being that it was Horace Grant's veteran leadership that really took that team over the top and, and made them a true title contender. And, you know, the Bulls series especially, he made so many big plays. The Pacers series, he made so many big plays. Honestly, game one of the 95 finals, he made so many big plays. And it's just they're just plays that you can't account for. And, you know, Robert Ory had such a good series. Uh, you know, he was Ory being a real stretch four. Um, that kind of counteracted what Grant gave them. And I think the rest of the Magic were a little bit exposed, to be frank. Because one thing kept coming to my mind as I watched the 95 playoff run and especially game one of the 95 finals. That no matter how talented that Magic team was, they were still so immature. And I'm not saying immature meaning, you know, like, you know, loose cannons or anything, but you could just see little things that they were doing that in many instances, nearly cost them. Like this was not, you know, they were a juggernaut. They were a very, very good team. But this was not some juggernaut. This was a team experiencing a deep playoff run for the first time in most of their careers. You know, Horace Grant being the exception. Brian Shaw, I think, you know, maybe had a couple deep runs. This was a team very much experiencing success in a whirlwind. When they said, why not us? Why not now? That was a statement of defiance. That was a st- everyone said the Magic aren't ready. They are the te- they are the team that is next. They are not the team that is now. And the Magic very quickly latched onto the idea of, you know, we're too young to know what we don't know, and we're too good to care. That statement was a defiant statement. But as I watched. All these games, and again, Fox Sports Twitter only aired the games the Magic won. So, you know, they were able to win a lot despite this. You could see little moments that they weren't all quite together, that they weren't quite a championship team. Now, Shaq, you know, uh, game four of the 95 uh, Eastern Conference Finals was actually on Memorial Day. Um, It was 25 years ago on Memorial Day. Um, Not this morning, you know what I mean. Um, And that game, too, like, I saw little things that were just like, championship teams don't do this. Shaq fouling out, some bad fouls, some bad turnovers, some bad mistakes. They were good enough to make up for them until they met the Houston Rockets, until they met a true champion, a true championship team in Houston. If you've never watched game one in its entirety, I highly suggest you do. Just once, because it hurts. It hurts a lot. But I think you see all that is great and all that was flawed about that Magic team. In Game 1, Orlando raced out to a 20-point lead. They could not miss a shot to start that series. They were riding the momentum of their Game 7 victory. Houston was a little rusty, uh, having defeated the Spurs in six games and having a few more days off. It took them a while to get into rhythm. But Houston 
sort of stayed the course. They went on a little run to end the, se- end the second quarter that brought them back to within 11, and they were just kind of keeping a, a steady steady drumbeat and a steady rhythm. And they outscored Orlando 37-19 in the third quarter. Orlando couldn't hit a shot, and Orlando's defense that year was suspect. It was They were an offensive juggernaut. They were one of, they were one of the best offensive teams in the league, and, and I think of all time. But their defense always left a little to be desired. But Orlando, you know, that team fought all the time. They they were, again, they were so talented. They could overcome the mistakes that they were making most of the time. And of course, the final sequence is etched into magic history and etched into magic fans' memory. And frankly, what struck me watching it this time and something that I had forgotten or maybe didn't even realize was the final sequence of regulation was not just the free throws. It was a whole 45-second sequence where the Magic had two offensive rebounds before Nick Anderson ever stepped to the foul line. Penny Hardaway missed a floater and Horace Grant dug out a rebound. Kicked it back out to Brian Shaw. Brian Shaw missed a three-pointer. The Magic dug out a rebound and reset to get themselves to the foul line. The Rockets were done. They were toast. They were, they were toast before Anderson stepped to the free throw line because they gave up those two offensive rebounds. If you, it, it, The narrative would have flipped completely. If, again, if, yes, the power was in Nick Anderson's hands. He just had to make one free throw to give the Orlando a four-point lead. But, Houston, needing a rebound, gave up two offensive rebounds in the final 40 seconds of that game. They gave up three because Nick Anderson got his own rebound after missing the first two free throws. But again, yes, you know, you know, Nick Anderson, you know, I, I credit Nick so much that he is open enough to, to joke and talk about the free, about that moment. Um, you know, I think that Magic fans always view Nick Anderson a little differently because he's the first draft pick. He's got so many good memories in Orlando, not just the steal against the Pacers or against the Bulls in game one. He had the go-ahead basket in game six as part of the 14-0 run to finish Chicago off. A big moment for him in his hometown. Like, I think Nick Anderson's on record saying People still give him grief about that when he goes back home to Chicago. That like that is a that was a huge moment for him. He had a humongous three in game two that gave Orlando a, a more comfortable lead against the Pacers in the Eastern Conference Finals. If there's one guy on that Magic team, you know, that I could count that you could count on to make the big shot, it would have been Nick Anderson. And that's part of the disappointment of the moment and part of why, you know, again, like that moment doesn't define Nick Anderson for Magic fans or for me. There's there's so many other great moments that just matter more, but there's no getting around it. If Nick Anderson had made one of those free throws, the Magic win game one and they're up 1-0 in the series. But 
I'm not so certain that it would have mattered at the end of the day. Yes, I, I do think those free throws kind of broke the magic. I think what made that magic team in 95 so special and so good was, yes, they had this why not us, why not now attitude. They had a bravado and confidence that they hadn't earned, and but they took. They took it. It wasn't their turn. It was Indiana's turn. It was New York's turn. It was Houston's turn again. It was Utah's turn. It was Seattle's turn. They went out and took it. They took their opportunity to win a championship when no one else thought they were ready quite yet. At the end of the day, that kind of proved to be correct because once that confidence was broken, I mean, remember, they got blown out in game six. They came back home to game seven and won that thing. They, they felt like the Orlando Arena was an impenetrable fortress. They went to Chicago, won game three in a tied series, you know, thanks to Pippen and Jordan making some mistakes. But they, you know, once that happened, they really felt like they could win that series. That, that game was vital. But once there was a little pinprick into the, that balloon of confidence, the air started sucking out. In contrast to what the Houston Rockets had. Down by 20, on the road, game one. Younger team just dominating you. They stayed the course. They stayed level. They stayed the same. They kept to their game plan. They got hot from three. I mean, they, they, Kenny Smith set a three-point record that night. They never wavered. They never quit. They never backed down. If the Rockets had missed a free throw or missed a big shot in that game, I've, I believe they would have come back in game two and one. I don't think it would have phased them because they knew exactly what they were doing. The Magic did not. And while they were always able to recover, while they were always able to kind of, not bluff their way, but kind of bull rush their way through, the finals are different. The lights are brighter. The scrutiny is greater. The staging is different. The feeling in the building is different. The 2009 Magic talked a little bit about this, I think, about how playing in the NBA Finals was just so different than anything they had done before. And that 2009 team was not expected to get to the Finals in the same way that the 95 team was. I mean, I, I don't think people expected the 95, time to, 95 team to get all the way there, but they were certainly a better candidate to get there than 2009. 95 team... I'm still a little partial to the 2010 team, but the 95 team is probably the best team in Magic history. Um, but the, nine, the the 09 Magic, I think, do, do have talked about how they got to the finals and they were a little wide-eyed. The stage was just a little big for them. In game one, that, that, that proved to be the case. They were just a little caught off guard by how big the stage was. And, you know, I, I, when I talked to Adam Morris about this uh, and when we did a what-if series between the Magic and the 9 Nuggets, I, I, I posited to him that, I, you know, I think some of the problems the Magic had in the 9 Finals were because they played the Lakers. If they, were playing, if they weren't playing Kobe, if they weren't playing the Lakers, I think they would have handled the stage a little bit better. It's, it's just so different when you're playing the Lakers because there's, the, there's so much more media attention on that team, rightly or wrongly. At, at that time, probably rightly. And I think 
that happened to the 95 Magic 2. Not that you can't win the the championship on your first trip to the finals. It's not impossible. And not that that 95 team hadn't already faced a ton of media scrutiny. But the finals are different. It's just, they're just different. And I think the Rockets were probably the only team in the West. I don't think the Spurs would have been able to do it the same way that the Rockets did. I mean, I, I'm... I'm going to read up a little bit more on the Spurs. I'm planning to do a, a what-if series on, on the 95 Spurs uh, in, in, on Orlando Magic Daily sometime in the, in the next week. Um, the Rockets knew how to handle the stage. They knew how to handle adversity in the finals. They knew exactly what to expect, and that was an advantage. You know, when Rudy Tomjanovich said after Game 4, never question the heart of a champion— I think there's something to that, you know. As, as Ric Flair once said, to be the be the man, you got to beat the man. And the Rockets were the man. And even though Orlando had game one, it felt like the Magic threw their best punch and the Rockets took it and came out on the other side. They stole game one. Don't get me wrong. The Magic should have won game one. But they probably knew they had the magic right where they wanted them. That Orlando, that that young team, that Shaq, that Penny, wasn't ready for the stage. They weren't ready for the moment. And naturally, Nick Anderson stepped up to the line at the end of regulation in game one. Short arm, two free throws, missing them off the front rim. Got his own rebound. Proceeded to miss the next two off the back rim. Kenny Smith hits the game-tying three. Hakeem Olajuwon wins the game in overtime with three-tenths of a second left on a tip-in. And the veneer of confidence that was the Orlando Magic in 1995, poof, went completely away. If you want to make yourself a better, smarter, more educated person, you know, you've got to read books. You got to read, you know, other thought, what other thinkers have to say. You got to learn history. You got to do all these things. But none of us have the time to get through some of those thicker books. I mean, I'm looking at some of the books on my shelf, you know, the nonfiction books, and they're just so long and there's just so much information. And, you know, especially kind of self help books, some of it can be a little bit roundabout. I mean, we all read philosophy books in college there. Sometimes a little hard to understand. Well, let me tell you about a useful app that, that provides one of the ultimate life hacks to get through this. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique and it works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways that need to know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Successful people like business leaders are well known for reading a lot of books. Blinkist is made for busy people like you who want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can start using that information right away. And with its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book during your commute on your lunch break, or while you exercise. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now, and it has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health, to history books. Blinkist has the latest titles from the bestsellers list, as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read, but never had the time to. Check out such popular books as Upheaval, Turning Points for Nations in Crisis by Jared Diamond. You know, those who uh, don't understand history are doomed to repeat it. That might be a good one to read. Or... 
Check out How Champions Think in Sports and in Life by Dr. Bob Rotella and Bob Cullen. You can check out all these books on Blinkist, and with Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to this massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com NBA, try it free for seven days, and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com NBA to start your free seven-day trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com NBA. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. All right, time to time to come down from that uh, that depressing note here uh, on the show. Uh, figured we had we had to mark the 25th anniversary in some way. Um, we're probably done talking about the. No, well, we may not be done talking about the 1995 team. I have I think one more I one more thing planned for the 25th anniversary of that team uh, coming up here. Uh, hopefully before you know before the season resumes. So we're not done talking about Magic history uh, on the show. Um, but but I definitely wanted to mark. The anniversary, but let's start looking ahead. Let's start looking forward to uh, to uh, the draft. Um, you know, obviously the NBA draft won't take place until October. Now, um, it sounds you know it sounds like you know there's going to be a lot of preparation, a lot of things to study, uh, and, and and fans have certainly already begun begun talking about the draft. Um, you know, I've done some preliminary work on the draft. I haven't done a whole bunch of talking about it. Um, you know, our pals at Locked On Fantasy Basketball have done some draft work already if you want to check out their scouting reports uh, on some of the draft players. But we also got a great podcast from Chad Ford. Chad Ford's NBA Big Board is talking all about the draft. They've done some redrafting of classes, which has some interesting magic implications. Um, but they've also uh, done a lot of talk about this year's class. And I would say from what I've seen and, and read and, and listened to about this year's class, um, you know, a big thing is it's not very strong at the top. Um, you know, I, lo- I know a lot of Magic fans, um, and, and, and honestly some media, have speculated that the Magic could look to move up in this year's draft. I would say from my initial study, there isn't a lot of players that I'm super excited about that I'm willing to give up a ton of assets to get in this year's draft. Now, I've always said this, you know, if Jeff Weltman believes his guy is at the top of this draft and he needs to go get him, he should, he should go and get him. I'm not convinced that that guy is there. However, I do think there's a lot of guys that around the time Magic are going to be drafting at, at 15, 16 in the draft um, that could be very, very valuable. I think that this is a very middle-heavy draft. Um, it's got a lot of kind of combo guards and point guards, which the Magic are kind of in the market for a backup point guard this offseason um, or for some point guard depth this offseason with Michael Carter-Williams and DJ Augustine being free agents. Um, and then there's a couple of really nice shooting wings that, that I think could be really, really good. Um, so what I wanted to do in this space is uh, play some clips from Chad Ford's uh, latest podcast where he um, kind of laid out his first big board, his big board 1.0, if you will, uh, and talk about, and, and hear what he has to say 
about some of the prospects that I'm really looking at uh, in this draft class. So let's hear what Chad Ford has to say about a couple of the guys that I'm really looking at in this draft class. I put together the big board by consulting with a number of NBA scouts and execs in the league, watching a lot of video of the prospects myself, and talking to guests like John Hollinger, Fran Fraschilla, and Kevin O'Connor to get their takes on a number of prospects in the draft as well. But where I lean is to where the consensus is for NBA scouts right now, and there's a lot of volatility. It was really hard to find much of a consensus anywhere for the number one pick, who the top five picks in the draft were, who the top ten picks in the draft were, and then it really starts to fall apart as you get below that. And so one of the things that I'm going to provide in this big board as well are draft ranges. And draft ranges represent the range that I heard roughly from NBA scouts about where they predicted a player would go in the draft, both a high range as well as a low range. At eight, Devin Vassell, wing, sophomore, Florida State, a little over 19 and a half years old. If you want to talk about 3 and D, a guy who can defend, shoot off the bounce, good passer, one of these guys that just has, if you're looking for what NBA teams value and what they're looking for right now in the league, he fits this really to a T. He's not an explosive athlete. You know, there's some questions about about strength with him, but he's a guy that I've just routinely seen move up, move up, move up because of the modern fit that he has in the NBA. This is a type of player that many NBA teams are looking for right now from a fit perspective. I've heard him as high as six. I've seen him as low as 15. I think a lot of it depends on what team needs are and and whether they feel like they have players at that position. But Vassal is a guy that I I would watch. It's looking really likely like he's going to be a top 10 pick in the league. At 11, I've got RJ Hampton, out of New Zealand, wing player, elite athlete. That's the thing I think that really excites teams. He played in New Zealand this year, skipped college basketball, didn't have necessarily like the dominant season in like 12 games that LaMelo did, was much more of a bit player, a role player on his team. But there's actually a lot of teams that actually really like that and think that Hampton got to learn from veterans, learn that, that he wasn't necessarily a superstar, and that that humility and that professionalism that he got over there is going to translate well. They're just hoping the shot comes around. I mean, RJ Hampton, the big question is going to be, is that shot going to come And if it does, he probably moves up four or five ticks on our board. If it doesn't, he may move down four or five ticks. You kind of split the difference with him. I've got him right now teams as high as eight. Again, some teams have him in the early 20s on their board. Just yet another player that that teams are really all over the place right now on, depending on the team. Number 12, Aaron Neesmith. Wing out of Vandy. Sophomore. A little bit older, 20 and a half years old. Elite shooter was ridiculous this season at Vanderbilt before he broke his foot. So it's a little bit of a limited sample size, though. He still took 115 threes this year. Has length, can shoot 
on the move, which is something that teams are really, really interested in. He's not like the most explosive athlete in the world, and there are some questions about creating his own shot or his shot for others. It's like a little bit one-dimensional. This guy's a scorer. He's a flamethrower. He's going to shoot from all over the court. But in a league that has been begging for more shooting, Neesmith really might be your best prospect in the draft as far as it comes to being an elite shooter. And that has him going as high as 10 on some boards. There are some teams that have him more in like the 15, 18, 20 range, but he's been edging up as well. And I, I think that we'll probably see him some somewhere in that like back third of the lottery on draft night. Kierlis Jr. at 13, point guard out of Alabama, sophomore, only 19 years old, young for his class, speed, pick and roll ability, defense, strength. This is an exciting guy who can be both a playmaker and can score the basketball. He can be a little bit reckless. There's sometimes questions about his combination of scoring versus playmaking, shooting off the bounce, a bit of a question as well. But in this debate, which a lot of NBA teams are having about who's the best point guard after those top guys are off the board, he is winning more and more conversations against the next guy at 14 that I have, Cole Anthony, who is actually a year older, even though he's a freshman point guard out of UNC. Also an elite scorer, but more questions with Cole Anthony about is he a point guard? Maybe did he reach his peak in high school? Had a disappointing season at North Carolina. If teams were doing individual workouts right now, these two guys would be banging head-to-head for the maybe last point guard taken in the lottery. Both of them in this like 10 to 20 range on draft boards. I'm finding more teams leaning Kira Lewis than they're leaning Cole Anthony right now. But there are some teams in Anthony's defense that really think that he was maligned this year at North Carolina. They really think that he actually handled himself well there and that he was just really playing on a bad team with a lot of expectations, a lot of pressure, injury issues, and that he is still going to come into the NBA and be the prospect that many people thought he would be in high school. And then there are people like John Hollinger who wonder whether he's the next Shabazz Muhammad on the other end. And so Anthony might actually be more polarizing than Kira Lewis. Some teams have him higher. Some teams have him lower. Kira Lewis sort of fits in the middle. But as far as ranking them on my big board, I got Kira Lewis just one spot ahead of him. Lewis at 13. Cole Anthony at 14. Check out Chad Ford's NBA Big Board for his full big board. As you can see, uh, a lot of the players that that I'm looking at uh, that I thought would be available for the Magic at around 15 have actually moved up a few spots. And I think I've kind of been on record that I wouldn't mind the Magic trying to trade up a few spots. I I am personally very high on Aaron Neesmith. Uh, I was happy to hear Chad kind of echo some of the things that I was thinking about Neesmith and that he is just a a really, really good shooter. Uh, a guy that, that, you know, I'm always, I'm a sucker for guys who can shoot on the move off of cuts. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's how I envision myself playing. That's not 
always how I play because I, I don't like running. Um, but th- that's 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 a skill that I've always valued a lot. That's that's a skill that, that I learned a lot uh, in, in the offense that I played in high school. Uh, and so that is that is definitely something that I think could have a lot of value for the Magic. Or certainly the Magic could use the shooting. Uh, that, that is something that could have a lot of value for the team uh, moving forward. Uh, you could hear Devin Vassell, the Florida State guy. That's a guy that we've talked a lot about here on the podcast. He has started. It seems like he started to move up on draft boards as well. Uh, just a prototype 3 and D guy. I would have ne- Vassell and Neesmith as probably my two top guys. If they're there at 15, um, take them, honestly. If you don't have to give up a lot to move up a little bit in this draft, um, I would seriously consider doing that as well. I would definitely consider moving up to to grab those guys because I do think that both of them are very good. But as you heard as well, a lot of guys with a ton of potential, a lot of guys that came in uh, from high school with a lot of accolades that maybe didn't live up in college, you know, Cole Anthony or an RJ Hampton, you know, they might be a little bit more of a project. You know, you may not know exactly what you're getting in them. Uh, And then, of course, you got a ton of point guards, whether it's uh, Kira Lewis, um, who who Chad talked about there. Um, if you want to learn more about like Tyrese Maxey or Theo Maladon, definitely go check out Chad Ford's NBA Big Board wherever you download podcasts. Be sure to also check out uh, check out the latest episode of Rejecting the Screen as well. On the last episode of Rejecting the Screen, they go ISO with the legendary Dan Dickow. They also talk about uh, the NBA's asterisk and no distractions, uh, as well as the NBA gets ready to go into the bubble. Go check, go check out Rejecting the Screen with Adam Stanko and Noah Kozlov wherever you download podcasts. Well, that's going to do it for me today. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Locked on Magic. Of course, find me on Twitter at philiprr__md. Find the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Magic. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Himalaya, Google Play, Spotify, and all the fun places you download podcasts to your podcast-enabled listening device. Uh, for the latest on the Orlando Magic, be sure to check out orlandomagicdaily.com and follow us on Twitter there at omagicdaily. But until next time, for Orlando Magic Daily and Locked on Magic, this has been Philip Rossman Reich. I'll see you all again next time for another episode of Locked on Magic. You are Locked on Magic, your daily Orlando Magic podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.